passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. I want you to take a moment and just imagine uh, a scenario, a couple scenarios here with me. Let's say that today is your first day uh, working a new job at a factory and you are participating in the wonderful new employee orientation. And as you are going through the orientation, it's relatively uh, straightforward for the first few hours. And then you get to one point of the tour where they're actually showing you how to make the products that the company you're working for uh, is in charge of. And they show you this shortcut. The shortcut will save the company a lot of time. It'll save the company a lot of money. uh, But it significantly lowers the quality of the product that you are making. What do you do? Another example, you are in the process of accepting a new job and you are in the middle of salary negotiations. The job that you are about to begin has a much smaller uh, benefits package than the one you are leaving behind. And so you are faced with the decision of fudging your current salary package or not to make sure that you are fairly compensated. What do you do? Another example, you are finally at retirement. You've worked long and hard, faithfully in your position of work for a number of years, and there are many options that are facing you. What do you do? All of these questions wrestle with the intersection of our faith and our work or our jobs or our vocation that God has called us to. And we begin to wonder, how does our faith influence our decision-making when it comes to these questions? If you've been here the last couple of weeks, we've been wrestling through this very question. How does our faith influence our work? A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, and we saw God's original plan for work. As we saw God's original plan for work, we saw that it was a good thing, that God created humanity to actually work in the garden. He created work to be good, and he actually created Adam and Eve to cultivate the world alongside of him. But of course, it didn't stay that way. A couple weeks ago, we looked at Genesis chapter 3, and we saw what has become of work because of the fall. We've seen that work is now hard. It is now difficult, can sometimes be fruitless, seem pointless and meaningless. Work is a far cry from what it once was because of sin. So how does our faith influence our work? That's where the gospel comes in. If you're a Christian, you are likely familiar with the gospel. Uh, the passage that Dan read earlier is a perfect passage that sums up the gospel or the good news of what God has done for us. I want to just read a passage to you from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, that describe this gospel. And it says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
those few verses there describe what our state was like before the gospel, before the good news. And then probably the two most powerful, the two best words in the entire English language come next. It says, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us and goes on in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5 to say he made us alive with Christ. The gospel is the good news that although each and every one of us was dead in our sins and our trespasses, God in Christ made us alive. By sending his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, God bridged the gap that separated us from him and he made us his adopted children. That's the good news of the gospel. A lot of times we can think of the gospel as something that is just an individual act. It is something that restores my relationship with God. It's just between me and God. And while that is true, it does have to do with us and God. The gospel changes everything in our lives. It changes the way that we spend our time. It changes the way that we spend our money. It changes the way that we relate with others. It changes the way that we think. And it even changes the way that we work. The gospel changes the way that we work. Of course, the question is, well, how? How does it change the way we work? And and honestly, at first glance, it might not seem like it does change the work all that much. After all, gospel doesn't change work itself, at least not yet. Many of us know from experience that the work that we are faced with can be hard. It can be fruitless. It can seem meaningless and pointless. Work itself has not yet been changed. Our methods for working haven't been changed yet either. There's not a Christian way of being a dentist and a non-Christian way of being a dentist. Let's go and explore that for a second. Let's say you decide to go to two dentists in one single day because you have a, you're a glutton for pain, I guess. And so you decide to go to a non-Christian dentist in the morning. Well, what happens when you go there? You go and sit in the waiting room. Your name is called and you go and be brought into a, a room, brought into a chair, The dentist comes in, sticks his hands in in your mouth, talks to you while your mouth is full with his hands, and he gets after you for trying to talk back to him while he's got his hands in your mouth. And then he sends you on your way after cleaning your teeth. Pretty straightforward. In the afternoon, you go and visit a Christian dentist, and something quite similar happens. You're brought into a room. You sit on a chair. There's a man who's got his hands in your mouth. He's talking to you and telling you not to talk back to him while he's got his hands in your mouth. He cleans your teeth and sends you on your way. For most of us, our method of doing things is not changed by the gospel. There isn't a Christian way and a non-Christian way to be an elementary school teacher, to be a mechanic, to be a salesperson. The gospel doesn't change our methods. The gospel doesn't change our abilities either. When we become Christians, we're not automatically better at the work that we do. It's not like we're suddenly invested with a lot of raw talent and ability that we didn't have beforehand. If that were the case, then Tim Tebow would probably be the best quarterback in NFL history. But we all know that that's not the case. Our abilities are not automatically increased when we, because of the gospel. 
Now, we might work harder, yes, and that might lead to a better end product, but it doesn't happen automatically. So the gospel doesn't change our work. The gospel doesn't necessarily change our method. Now, there, there are some things about our method that are changed, and the gospel doesn't necessarily change our abilities. So what happens with our faith and our work? That's what we're going to be exploring this morning. I think the testimony of Scripture is clear, that the gospel may not change our work, but the gospel does change us, the worker. The gospel may not change our work, but the gospel does change us, the workers. See, the gospel changes everything because it changes us. And because it changes us, it changes our approach to everything. And this morning, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the way the gospel changes the worker. And to do that, we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to Colossians. We're going to start in Colossians chapter 1 as we explore this concept of how our faith influences or changes the way that we work. And as we explore Colossians, we're going to see that there are at least five transformations that take place because of the gospel that influence our work. Before we open up to Colossians, I invite you to pray with me one more time. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it teaches us. We thank you for the ways that it impacts us and changes us. And God, even now, as we look at the ways that you are transforming us to be more like you, we pray that you would come and speak to us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. What uh, what transformations take place because of the gospel that influence our work? Well, first, the gospel makes us a new creation. The gospel makes us a new creation. If you have your Bible open to Colossians chapter 1, this is found in verses 13 and 14. It says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Before Christ came, each and every one of us was living in darkness. The passage from Ephesians that I shared earlier tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. We were slaves to darkness, and there was nothing that we could do about it. But then God came. Jesus came and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son, or the kingdom of God's beloved son, and as his children... As citizens of this new kingdom, we are now a new creation. What does it mean to be a new creation? Well, first it means that we are now right with God. Our relationship with God is now fixed. It's repaired. The bridge has been built that that was once uh, separating us from God. And now, this might sound like it's pretty straightforward, but it is the foundation for everything that we are going to talk about this morning, that we are now right with God. Not only does being a new creation make us right with God, but it also makes our work right with God. Before Christ, each and every one of us worked for different reasons. Maybe we worked because that's what we were supposed to do. We just knew that we were supposed to go get a job, and so that's what we did. Maybe you worked because of the financial benefits of it. You needed to provide for your family, and so you decided to work. Maybe you decided to work because you had to. Maybe you decided to work because your identity was tied up in that work. You were trying to prove yourself to others or prove yourself to God. But now, because of Christ, we have a chance to see work in the right way, to see work the correct way. 
as worship, as a way to honor God, that our work actually matters to God, that God cares about the things that we are doing. Being a new creation makes us right with God, but it also makes our work right with God. We're no longer trying to justify ourselves in God's eyes, trying to prove ourselves in God's eyes, but now we can see our work as an act of honor to God. Our work makes us right before God, or excuse me, being a new creation makes us right before God. And it also means that we have a new attitude when we approach our work. We have a new attitude when we approach our work. This is found in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. It says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Notice what Paul says here. He says to be focused on the things above. And what he means by that is that we're not, he doesn't mean that we should ignore our work, do a shoddy job at the stuff that we're doing here. In fact, it's just the opposite. He's saying that when you are working, you should keep your thoughts, keep your attitudes heavenward. Be focused on God. Even when you're faced with a task that you may not enjoy, have the right attitude when you do it. And what is that attitude? Well, that attitude is the same one that Christ had. It is to seek or see this opportunity as an opportunity to worship God. Being a new creation also means that it transforms the way that we relate with others. We no longer look at people as just our coworkers or our clients or our customers or our bosses or our employees. We now look at them in a way that we love them, just as important as we love our neighbors and our family and our friends. Colossians, again, tells us what this should look like in Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. It says this, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The way we look at others has changed. Our relationships are transformed because of the gospel. There are many other things that that happen because we are a new creation. Our priorities are changed. For some of us, the things that we actually do are changed. Being a new creation is the foundation for everything that we talk about this morning, about how the gospel influences our work. So let's take a look at some more of those. The gospel makes us a new creation, yes, but the gospel also gives us a new perspective when it comes to work. The gospel gives us a new perspective. This is found in Colossians 1, verses 21 through 23. It says this, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Notice what Paul says there. Paul tells us that at one point we were hostile in our minds to God hostile in our minds to the gospel, and yet there has been a change that has taken place. 
We're no longer shifting from the hope of the gospel, but now we stand firm and we cling to that hope. When we were brought out of the domain of darkness, every one of us had our way of looking at the world begin to change, begin to shift. It might not have happened overnight, but it did begin to happen. Our way of looking at the world began to change. And over time, this is what happens as we become Christians, our way of seeing the world shifts. This is called a change in our worldview. See, as Christians, each and every one of us has a Christian worldview. The way we look at the, our, at the world around us is influenced by the story of God. Now, that takes place subconsciously at times. A lot of times it takes place consciously. Every one of us does it. Not just Christians, in fact. Every one of us has a worldview. All of us look at the world through different lenses. And the way we see the world is influenced by this worldview. Think of our worldviews as a backstory. It's understanding the, the backstory to a certain event. If you understand one backstory, you'll interpret things one way. If you understand a different backstory, you'll interpret it a different way. I want to give you an example. Let's say you're in downtown Chicago. You're standing in line waiting for the bus, and there's a man who's standing right next to you, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he gets attacked by another person. And you shift out of the way because you don't want to be involved in that, obviously. Uh, And they continue to fight each other until the law enforcement arrives and separates them. Okay? What's going on here? One backstory would tell us, well, this man just got mugged. Pretty straightforward and simple. But what if you knew a different backstory? One that, the, that said that the man who was standing in line waiting for the bus with you had actually robbed the man who attacked him two blocks earlier. Your view of what was happening would shift. Or what if they were both street performers and they were practicing for a, uh, a play? Now, pretty unrealistic, but again, your understanding of the backstory changes the way you look at those events. That's a little bit the way our worldviews influence the way we look at different things in our lives. Have you ever wondered why you disagree with people who aren't Christians? It's because you have different worldviews. You look at the world through different lenses. But of course, worldviews can't both be right. There's only one right worldview. As Christians, we confess that the story of God, understanding the backstory of Christianity, of the Bible, helps us to make truth And make sense of the world that we are living in. Every situation, everything that we see is influenced by our story. The story of God. So how does this new perspective or this new worldview influence the way that we work? In his book, Every Good Endeavor, Tim Keller lists a couple ways that our worldview influences our work. and gives us some questions. In fact, in your bulletin, you should see a, a list of questions uh, that are worldview questions. I invite you to wrestle through those in your own vocation that, that talk about how, how does my worldview as a Christian influence the way that I look at my work. Let's just look at a couple of these questions. First, one of the questions that we should ask ourselves when it comes to our work is this. What are the underlying assumptions that my work makes about meaning, that makes about morality? Every single one of us work in an occupation that makes assumptions about meaning and morality. Let's go back to our two dentists. How would they answer this question? Well, our non-Christian dentist would probably ask or answer the question about morality by going to the Hippocratic Oath. It's a good place to start. It can be summed up in, at first, do no harm. That's a good 
general guideline for morality for a dentist of some sort. But of course, if that's all that you have for your morality, there are a lot of questions that follow. Well, what does it mean to do no harm? Who is the object in this do no harm? Is it the patient? Is it the patient's family? Is it the doctor? As you can see, the simple, basic worldview of morality for a non-Christian can be challenged quite easily. Of course, the Christian dentists, how does their worldview uh, understand morality? Well, they can start with the Hippocratic Oath as well. It's a good place to start. But they can flesh out what it means to do no harm from that point on. Because Scripture gives us much to understand what it means to be moral what it means to have meaning in this life. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15 uh, describes this. It says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Christian understanding of morality is much deeper. That's not saying that non-Christians are immoral by any means, but it's saying that if you follow the worldview to its logical end, you'll have more and more questions to ask. So as you can see, the Christian worldview influences uh, the way uh, someone approaches their work quite a bit. Let's ask another question. What does the Christian worldview ask? What's another question that it it asks? And that is, what are the idols of my work? What are the things that, that people worship or put before God in my work? This is another relatively easy one. This past week, uh, five of the world's largest banks were fined a record amount, uh, totaling billions of dollars for their manipulation of the foreign exchange market. Why did they do that? What caused this unethical manipulation? It was greed. It was the idolatry of greed, the idolatry of money. This can be found in virtually every career. The business owner who works more and more so that way they can get more stuff to prove their identity to themselves. The mechanic who works only for the weekend, only to enjoy their paycheck. Why? Because they see their paycheck not as a way to worship God, but rather to worship themselves. Even those without high wages can be found guilty of worshiping money through the envy of others. This is a pervasive idol that knows no boundaries. What does our worldview say about our work? There are many other questions. Again, I encourage you to answer or wrestle through those questions. To look at how your new perspective influences your work. So the gospel makes us a new creation. The gospel gives us a new perspective. And the gospel also gives us a new compass in our lives. The gospel gives us a new compass. This is found in in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It says this, Therefore, as you received Christ, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Notice what it says here. It says that as you believed in him, or as you began in him, rather, so also walk 
in him. Now, in the Bible, the word walk can oftentimes be used to refer to living your way of life. And so what Paul is saying here is in the same way that you receive Christ, that's how you should live your life. The question that we have to ask is, well, how did we receive Christ? We received Christ through faith. And it is this faith that, faith that should govern the way that we live our lives. Every area of our life should be governed by this faith. Of course, this means that as Christians, we should have certain Christian virtues, Christian ethics, Christian morality when we are at work. But it's more than that. First of all, it means that we look at others differently. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that we spent a lot of time in repeated over and over that Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. Being created in the image of God gave them a sense of human dignity. Every single human on the face of the planet is an image bearer of God, has his image. doesn't matter how immoral they may be. They carry part of God's image, however small that might be. Because they carry his image, they are deserving of respect. This is where all of human dignity ultimately comes from causes us to look at others differently. This has great implications for the ways that we treat others. No longer should we see others as our coworkers or as our bosses or as our employees, but rather we see them as image bearers. And as image bearers, they are deserving of respect. This also has implications for, the, for those who are in authority. Uh, as you're thinking of, of the ways that you look at others differently, uh, it, this comes down to the concept of a just wage. Uh, a just wage, uh, I'm not saying that we should raise the minimum wage by any means. Um, I'm saying that all who are created in the image of God deserve a just wage. And what exactly does that mean? Well, I'm going to read a quote to you from uh, a guy who's way smarter than me, uh, Lester DeCoster. He says this, A just wage is a paycheck that recognizes the personal relationships that underlie work and civilization. Involved are both the needs of the workers at all levels— and the success of the enterprise in which all are involved. Those whose work is concerned with the creation and administration of wages and price scales must be economic artists whose jobs bear heavy moral responsibility with wage scales that are only a grim necessity uh, to oblige the poor uh, to accept the artistic guidelines that enjoy no endorsement from heaven. What he's saying is that each and every one of us has quite the tightrope to walk. Seeing others differently means that we will reward them for their hard work. And of course, this varies from position to position. It would be unjust for a high school graduate who is just starting in retail to be paid the same amount as a teacher with a master's degree who's been working as a teacher for 20 years. It's just unjust to do that. But also at the same time, it's unjust for that high school graduate to be underpaid. And again, that's going to vary quite a bit off of their position. What does that look like specifically? I'm glad I don't have to answer that question. We have to walk the tightrope of rewarding others for their hard work while at the same time seeking the good of the company, including those who are in charge as a whole. Walk the tightrope of a just wage. What else does our compass do for us, our new compass? Well, it gives us a new source of guidance. This new source of guidance is biblical wisdom. 
Now, biblical wisdom isn't just obeying the, the thou shalts and thou shalt nots of Scripture. It actually is referring to the 80% of the time where the Bible doesn't explicitly address the situations we find ourselves in, how to take the truths of Scripture and know what to do in those times. The Bible doesn't tell us how to be an IT worker in, a non, in the profit sector, but there is a right way and there is a non-way or a not right way for us to do that. And figuring out the distance, the difference is what we call wisdom. So how do we gain wisdom? Well, first we gain wisdom by knowing God personally. The book of Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Later on in the book of Proverbs, it says you want to know how to get wisdom? Well, fear God. That's the first step, to spend time in fellowship with God, praying to him, to immerse ourselves in the truths of Scripture, to saturate ourselves with Scripture, to spend time getting to know God personally. That's one area where wisdom comes from. Second area would be to just know ourselves personally. To know who we are, to know our strengths, to know our weaknesses, to know what we're good at, what we're not good at, to know where we are strong and where we are weak. If we don't recognize those things, then we don't have a good understanding of ourselves. We don't have a good understanding of, of wisdom in that sense. So to, to sum up what wisdom is, it is to know God personally. It's to know ourselves. And finally, it, it's also just experience. Wisdom comes through experience. The phrase, uh, experience is the best teacher, honestly isn't that bad of a saying. God teaches us through our failures. God teaches us through our successes to give us more wisdom. The gospel transforms us by giving us a new compass and by increasing us with wisdom. And that helps us know how to effectively serve God in our vocations. Next thing that Colossians tells us is that the gospel gives us a new purpose. The gospel gives us a new purpose. Take a look at verse 17 of chapter 3. It says this, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. One of the biggest ways that the gospel transforms our approach to work is by reminding us of God's original plan for work. It is through the gospel that we are given the hearts to understand the truths of Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, that God created us to worship him in everything that we do. That God created work to be good. That God created work to be a cooperative effort between us and between him. And this is very clearly seen in Colossians chapter 3 verse 17, that whatever we do to work and to worship God, the ironic thing about the gospel and how it transforms our work is that the new purpose of our work is the original purpose of our work. Another important fact or distinction about this new purpose that we have, and that is that it liberates us from the need to overwork. Understanding our new purpose with our work liberates us from the need to overwork. Each and every one of us, to some degree, before we became Christians, saw work as a way to justify ourselves or to prove ourselves to God, to prove ourselves to others. The teacher who wanted to be a good teacher 
but also wanted to prove to themselves and to those who were around them that they made the right career choice. To prove to others that they were doing what was right. To the salesperson who stays in sales as a way to prove that they're a good person. That they can provide for their family. It's a way to prove to themselves, to others, and even to God who they are. And I'm going to be honest. When it comes to work from a non-Christian perspective, if you follow it to its logical conclusion, overwork is required. The only way that we can truly prove ourselves to those who are around us is by working too much overworking ourselves to get more and more accomplished, to prove to others more and more who we are. And it's only once we have a new purpose, it's only once we understand the truth of the gospel and that work is worship, that all of life is worship, that we are free to rest because our rest is an act of worship to God as well. The gospel gives us a new purpose in our life. One final thought as we close, and that is this. That the gospel gives us a new boss. The gospel gives us a new boss. This is Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. It says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. The gospel makes many transformations in our life. It transforms us by making us a new creation, by giving us a new perspective, by giving us a new compass, giving us a new purpose, and by giving us a new boss. See, Colossians is, this section of Colossians is actually written to Christian slaves. These are slaves who often were treated poorly. We could talk a lot about the difference between first century slavery and our modern conceptions of slavery, uh, but we've done that in the past, and I don't think that it's important for us to look at right now. Instead, I want to look at this passage in this way, by saying if God commands Christian slaves to treat Jesus as their boss, to work hard, even though they are being mistreated, how much more does he tell us to do that? How much more does he tell us to follow him, to see Jesus as our boss? See, understanding that God is our boss actually gives us a new motivation in our work. I'll be the first to admit that there have been positions I've held in the past where it's been tough to get motivated by the people that I work for. But seeing God as my ultimate boss helped me serve as motivation. Why is that? Because if God is my boss... If God is the one who is ultimately in charge, that means he wants me to do well, that my work actually matters. And I wanted to please God, even if I didn't really care as much about pleasing my earthly bosses. Understanding God or Jesus as our boss actually uh, is really important when it comes to working in a position that we don't enjoy or when we have a bad boss ourselves. See, while we have the freedom to look for new work, we do not have the freedom to do poorly at our current work. We will leave behind earthly bosses when we change jobs, but we will never leave behind our true ultimate boss when we recognize that Christ is our boss. Even when times are difficult, it helps us understand how God is working in us during those times. 
Which shows a greater commitment to God? Working in a position that you don't enjoy, but doing it well because you love God? Or working in a position that you enjoy and doing it well as love for God? That's a pretty close distinction, but I think it shows a greater sacrifice on our behalf, a greater commitment to God to say, I don't want to do this, and yet because of you, God, I'm going to do my best at it. It's when we work well in spite of the parts that we don't like where God is most honored in our work. The gospel gives us a new boss, and one final note on that, and this is just for employers If the gospel gives us a new boss, and if Christ is our boss, that means we will be held accountable for the ways that we ourselves lead others. If we lead as Christ led, he will be pleased with us, and we will be well rewarded. But if we lead in a way that is contrary to Christ, then we will have to answer for our actions on the day of judgment. The gospel gives us a new boss. See, the gospel might not change our work, but it does change us, the worker. And because of this transformation, we will react differently when we're asked to take shortcuts in a way that will compromise our integrity. It means that we will act differently and be honest in salary negotiations. It means that we will continue to work, although in a different way, no doubt, when we reach retirement. It's because through the gospel, we are transformed. This transformation takes place in an instant but it also takes place as a process throughout the rest of our lives. And this transformation affects all of our lives, not just our work. And so I want to just encourage you as we close to apply this good news of the gospel to your work. Think of your work differently. Because you are a new creation, think with a new perspective. Be guided by a new compass for a new purpose, all for the glory of your new boss. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the truth of Scripture. We thank you for the ways that you work in our lives. And God, I just ask right now that you would give us the strength to apply these truths, whatever our vocation is, whether our vocation is as someone who is retired or just entering into the workforce, someone who's a stay-at-home mother. God, I pray that you would help us, give us wisdom and discernment to know how to faithfully serve you in our work. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.